I've been hearing some reports of things that God's doing, and that's wonderful to hear. And so I wanted to hear from you all, anybody that would like to share an insight that God has given you or answer to prayer or what's happening to you during the fast besides you're not getting to do some things you really like to do. Okay, anybody want to volunteer? Okay, come on up. We'll have Priscilla share. This is Priscilla. Hi, I'm Priscilla Moranville. Um, I just wanted to share that I have been amazed at how close I have felt to God. And the devotions, devotion times that I've had have really felt very real and just felt like, um, like God was really sitting there listening to me. So that's been very special. Thank you, Priscilla. Is this the first time you've done a fast? Yeah, this good. So good. Good. Anybody else? Okay, now you all have accountability partners. Remember, if you're checking in with each other, how you doing? If you mess up, that's okay. Try again. Okay. Well, I'm going to share then because I didn't get to share last week. Um, I was last week. I think you know that I was in California visiting my mom, and um, for my 50th birthday. That's what I wanted for my birthday, and that was really fun. And um, my sister, my eldest sister, is married to a guy who most of his life he's been an atheist. And just about a year ago, he found out that Jesus was for real, that he wasn't a myth. And that was interesting to him. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I've been praying for him for 32 years. And um, so then um, just recently they decided to start going to the Catholic Church because that was what my family's background was when they would go to church. And so he's been going and been meeting with a a father or priest once a week to ask his questions about God and stuff. So um, there's an opening. He's like believing now there is a God and is he worth really loving and knowing. And so I was there and, um, oh, my brother-in-law, his name is Fabian Alonso. He never had a middle name. And when he became an American citizen, he decided to honor my father by changing his name to Fabian Kenny Alonso. That was my maiden name, was Kenny. And my dad to my brother-in-law is top-notch guy. I mean, you can never say anything bad about my dad in front of my brother-in-law because, you know, he was his hero. And... Um, So I took this opportunity. I was there for dinner, sitting with them. And I said, you know, there's something I want to share with you, Fabian Marinella, that I've never felt like I could share with you before because I didn't think it would make sense, but I think it will make sense now. But three years before Father died, I was praying for Father, and I heard the Lord say, stop praying. He's going to get saved, but he's waiting to the very end. And so I was never afraid again. I just thought, okay. And so um, five days before my dad died, um, I flew into California to see him for the last time. And in that time period, I was able to sit with him again, my last time. I knew it was going to be my last time. And very clearly shared with him his need to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. You know, Dad, you've been a great dad, a great husband, but that's not enough. You really need to be right with God. And God's been waiting for you. And he received Christ that day afternoon with me and prayed to receive Christ into his heart. And I just told Fabian Marinella, you know, at the funeral, y'all were bawling and crying because you were without hope. 
But I knew that I was going to see Father again. I knew that he had given his life over to God. And I couldn't really share that with you guys because you wouldn't have understood. And I couldn't comfort you that way. But I know I'm going to see Father. In fact, he's probably the first guy I'm going to see waiting there for me. And Fabian and my sister, Mainela, were like, wow. And Fabian just said, I am so glad to hear Father's going to be there. And um, so that was what I wanted to share, this open opportunity that I've been praying for for 32 years. It was really exciting, and I could just see that this peace came over Fabian and my sister because, you know, when you start going for God and you start thinking about some of your loved ones that you're not sure are they going to be with him or not, you know, it's just this wonderful feeling of it's going to be okay because Father's going to be there who he loved more than just about anybody. So I want to share that. I think that was a pretty hot response to a, a fast. <laughs> cool. I, too, have had <clears throat> just some incredible devotional times uh, with God. Uh, since we moved here 11 years ago, the, the Word of God has been richer in my life than ever before. And, um, but during this fast, particularly uh, numerous times, I've just been encountering the Lord very, very profoundly uh, in his word. I'll be sharing uh, one of those uh, tonight with you. For the last few weeks, we have been looking at what we're calling keys to kingdom living. Jesus, uh, we saw and have learned, came to do battle with Satan and to establish the rule of God where the rule of Satan had been. And he did this by announcing and demonstrating the good news of God's kingdom rule. Jesus not only proclaimed through word, but he also did through deed. Word and works, we sometimes speak about it. Because one without the other really is incomplete. They have to be together. There needs to be both. To say to somebody out on the street, a homeless person, God loves you but not to do any deed of love really is incomplete. To say, I love you to your son or daughter, but then not be available to enter into their world and what is important to them falls short. In announcing, Jesus told people about God's love and about how to enter his kingdom. Through the demonstration, he welcomed those who were undesirables. He reconciled the outcast. He healed the sick. He delivered people from addictions. He cast out demons. He took charge over nature and he raised the dead. But not only did Jesus announce and demonstrate the kingdom of God, he also desires and commissions his followers to do the same. Not on their own, but as he did, initiated by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and sent with his authority and by him. And so to assist us in following his footsteps... Jesus has given us keys to kingdom living that when we understand and when we implement them into our lives, it will enable us to say what he said and to do what he did. So each Sunday we're identifying and considering how we can use these keys as well as identifying some of what they are. A few weeks ago we looked at the first two keys, the first being being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did as a man fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he was completely God, holy and completely. Scripture teaches that Jesus set that aside and lived as a servant in the flesh as a human being, but one who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And so that we too can do what he did only as we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. We also spoke of submitting to the will of God. Jesus lived his life as a servant, laying down his rights, laying down what he thought best to obey the Father. And the way that we will do the things that Jesus did and be able to say the things that Jesus said is doing the same by submitting to the will of God. And then last week we looked at the key of listening to the words of Jesus and incorporating his teaching into our lives, implementing its truth, and taking action on what he said. And this afternoon I want to look at another key to the kingdom living, but before we do that, let's pray again. God, thank you for the privilege to draw near to you to speak to you, to know that you have welcomed us, that you long to hear us, to sit next to us, to hear our struggles, our troubles, and even our praises. So, Father, we welcome you now. Be with us. Lead and guide. Accomplish tonight what is in your heart to be accomplished. Might your kingdom come. Might your will be done here in this time and in this hour. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to understand and to see and to learn from you. Father, pray for our guests that are here, that as they have come seeking and searching, that they might find their quest to know you, to find a people, to be welcomed, to be healed and delivered and set free. Thank you, Father, for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been involved in the vineyard for very many years or attended conferences or various things, the key that we're going to be looking at today will be very familiar. But like last week, I want us to not only identify the key, I want us also to talk about what it would look like to use the key. It's one thing to have a set of keys. It's another to use them. I have a a pretty good friend. His name is uh, Charles Fletcher. He comes to church uh, quite often here and I was imagining, you know, if Charles came up to me before the service and he said, Randy, I know that you and Clara are hoping someday to, you know, replace her car with a four-door pickup truck, so I've decided to give you my truck. And he hands me the keys. Wow, that would be pretty cool. What would you think, though, if after the service, instead of going out to our new truck, ooing and aahing, opening and closing the doors, trying out the leather seats, turning on the heaters that were in the seats, and cranking up the Bose system, what if we got into Clara's old Buick, and we drove all the way home, and we we just couldn't stop talking about having the keys to Charles' truck? Wow, Clara, can you believe it? Charles gave us the keys to his truck. It's so awesome. Clara goes, yeah, that's so cool, Randy. Let me see the keys. Wow, these are nice keys. It's even got a remote. Wow, this is really cool. But then from the back seat, Priscilla and Mercy yell out, Dad, Mom, Charles didn't give us the keys to admire the keys he meant for us to have and drive the truck. I think sometimes we've been shown keys to kingdom living and we go home and hang them up on our spiritual key rings. Wow, nice set of keys. Good stuff. But Jesus gave us these keys so that we would get in and drive life like he did. So I hope that all of us, myself included, can take a few steps today, tomorrow, and each day hereafter to begin using these keys that he has given to us. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. A long passage, and so again, I don't have it on the screen, just the reference. John chapter 5. 
Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, all lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, Would you like to get well? No, thanks. No. He said, I can't, sir, for I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up the mat, and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was healed, you can't work on the Sabbath. It's illegal to carry your sleeping mat. (gasps) You're right. He replied, well, the man who healed me told me to do it. He said, pick up your sleeping mat and walk. They asked, who said such a thing as that? And the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he told him, Now you are well, so go, stop sinning, or something even worse will happen to you. Then the man went to find the Jewish leaders and told on Jesus. (laughs) Excuse me, and told them about Jesus who had healed them. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father never stops working, so why should I? So the Jewish leaders tried all the more to kill him. In addition to disobeying the Sabbath rules, he had spoken of God as his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. And the Son will do far greater things than healing this man. And you will be astonished at what he does. So here we see Jesus again. He's out and about doing good, caring for the needs of people and getting in trouble for it. Don't you hate when that happens? This time he's in trouble with the religious leaders for healing someone on the Sabbath. Not the first and not the last. He, of course, encouraged the person to work by carrying their mat. Let's look at a few of the things from this passage to help us identify what is the key that Jesus is giving us here to begin to use. The very first phrase that I think stands out and and helps us here is this phrase from verse 17, the Father is always at work. Jesus' response to these religious leaders about why he is healing on the Sabbath is, my father never stops working. By saying that the father never stops working, Jesus is inferring that the father is always doing things or always working, even on the Sabbath. So, no matter what day it is, no matter where you are, or who you're with, the Father is always sleeping. I want you, right? No. The Father is always working. Whether you're at work, or school, 
whether you're at the hairdressers, the barbershop, when you see your neighbor outside, you're standing in line next to someone, the Father is at work. He is always doing something. Now that can be pretty exciting, but it also can be rather daunting. But it does create opportunities. The second statement I want to identify is where Jesus said that he never stopped working. My father never stops working, so why should I? In my devotional this uh, last week on Tuesday, I was reading from Mark chapter 6. Jesus and his disciples had been out on a short-term missions trip, something like what we're going to do this summer to Costa Rica. And when they got back, they found life just sweeping them in. They were continued to be extremely busy. It says they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says, hey, guys, I think we need a bit of R&R. Let's go camping. Let's just hang out together, do some debriefing. Let's swap some Holy Ghost stories and get some rest. So they got into their boats, and they headed to a deserted place, campground. But when they got there, a crowd, having watched them leave, had run ahead of them and gathered. So when they came ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd Verses, uh, verse 60, uh, 34 from Mark 6. And it says he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So much for R&R. All day, it says, they ministered and cared for the people. Mark tells us that uh, when it grew late in the day, the disciples got pretty nervous and they tried to get Jesus to send the crowds away into the nearby town so they could go get dinner. But Jesus ends up feeding the crowd and the disciples too, of course, who hadn't had time to eat, remember? And they were fed, of course, with the five loaves and the two fish. This is still that same day. After cleaning up from dinner, Jesus told the disciples to get back into the boats and to head back to the other side. So much for R&R. While he stayed and dismissed the crowds, which probably took a minute or two, probably, I'm sure. And how long would it take for Jesus to dismiss the crowds? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, can't you please touch my daughter? Wait, 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 what about my uncle here? You know, and could have taken a couple of hours. But finally, they were all going and had left. The crowd is dispersed and Jesus climbs the mountain for time with the Father. Sometime during that night, Jesus was somehow aware that the disciples were still out at sea, that they were fighting a storm, a headwind out there, and they were not doing very well getting to the other side. And then the text says, So early the next morning, after he had finished praying, he walked out on the water to help him out. Finally, the next day sometime, they arrived at the town, And Mark tells us that the people rushed around and gathered all the sick and hurting and brought them to Jesus and the disciples so they could heal and minister to them. So they left to get some R&R after their ministry trip because they hadn't had time to eat because of the crowds. They arrived in a deserted place only to find a crowd waiting. They ministered all day. They did get to have some fish and chips. But then they headed back to town later that night in the ship. They struggled rowing all night long, no sleep, arriving in the town the next day only to find a crowd waiting there that needed ministry. Anybody tired yet? The Father is always at work. And Jesus, too, was always working. In John 5:19, part A, Jesus said that he does nothing on his own. Jesus replied, I assure you, the Son can do nothing by himself. You know, when you read the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, it looks like he's doing a lot of great stuff. But he's telling the religious leaders, he's telling us that he is not an independent lone ranger. 
on his own, he says he would be unable to do anything. Now, I think that's rather encouraging. It's an encouraging word for us because I think most of us agree with him. Yep, I can't do a thing without God. And that's a good place to be. So if Jesus can't do anything on his own, how does he do what he did? does? Number four, John 5, 19. Jesus did and only did what he saw the Father doing. The Son only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus was in partnership with the Father. They were a team, Father and Son. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, and whatever the Father was doing, that's what he did. Now, a number of you know that I am a first-time grandfather, and my granddaughter is out there in the crowd uh, being nice and quiet right now. She's uh, a year and a half old, and she is at a season of her life where she is imitating everything and everybody. You know, you clap, and she claps. She's imitating my daughters who play the piano. And then I have, uh, I don't know where this one came from, but there's this funny laugh kind of thing that I and I guess others do. And you kind of put your head back and you go, ha, 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 like that. And she does it. She puts her head back and this little kind of thing comes out. It's, it's hilarious. See, it's, it's built into us to learn from others. This, this right here is the main reason for Jesus' high success rate. He imitated what he saw the Father doing. Let's watch this video clip and see the example that's set there. Hopefully. We're missing the audio. senior at the time. He never closed the window between us. He transacted a lot of business on the daily commute. And I paid attention. When he bought, I bought. When he sold, I sold. Dad, are you telling me you have a million dollars? No. A little over two million. Your mother and I were happy here, Sabrina. We always dreamed of what it would be like to do this for you. Two million dollars might have exceeded her expectations. But then you've always exceeded mine. So here we have a chauffeur. He drove every day to work with an exceptionally business, a successful businessman who was transacting, buying, and selling stocks. And so the chauffeur paid attention, bought and sold when they bought and sold, and he became very, very rich. Didn't even need to know anything about bad companies or good companies or stocks. He just needed to do what he heard this man did. And that's kind of like how Jesus worked. Jesus watched and learned from his dad. So who was Jesus' daddy? Who was Jesus' daddy? God the Father. And who's your daddy? God the Father. So if Jesus 
was able to learn what to do. And the success of his ministry came from doing with the father what daddy was doing. How are we going to be successful? We learn to watch and learn from daddy. So one more key element in this passage, I think, that can help us to identify the, this key to kingdom living. And that is that the father showed Jesus what he was doing. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. It's not just simply left for Jesus to watch and figure it out. Back to our story from the stock market, most of us can't get the kind of inside scoop that this chauffeur did. But if one of us had a mom or a dad or another close relative who loved us and wanted us to succeed, they probably might be willing to teach us what they knew about these kinds of investments. And Jesus loved the Father, but the Father loved the Son. So Jesus spent time with his Father in prayer and in watching. And as a result of that and the Father's love and commitment to show Jesus what he was doing, Jesus was able to see and learn to see what the Father was doing. So here's the key to kingdom living for this week. So that we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be successful in ministry and relationships like he was. Firstly, we need to learn to partner with the Father by spending time with the Father, watching for what the Father is doing, and then doing what the Father is doing. I want to look at three examples from the life of Jesus where we can see this transaction, these, these kinds of things going on. And I, I want you, as, as we look at these, to identify that um, we can learn to do what Jesus did. We can learn to see as he did. We can learn to become observant and watch. But it's going to take some attention on our part. Let's look at these examples. The first one is a gentleman by the name of Zacchaeus. Again, a very familiar person, very short and brief passage in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Many of us know the story of this uh, little Zacchaeus. He wasn't little because he was a child, but because he was vertically challenged. He was short. Um, He was a Jewish tax collector who worked for the Roman government, and they were known to be extortionists, and they were hated by the Jews. I've always suspected that he was probably short when he was a child and picked on at school. Uh, That would be my sense. And so he took on this uh, job thinking he could get back at all those kids that were not nice to him. Anyway, I don't know. It doesn't say. Luke 19, 1 through 5 says this in the message translation. As Jesus entered and walked through Jericho, a man named Zacchaeus, the head tax collector who was very rich, wanted desperately to see Jesus. But the crowd was in his way as he was a very short man and could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Now, in thinking about this, you know, it's possible Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. It's possible that while he was praying that morning or perhaps the night before that, that, that he was perhaps alerted to this idea that there might be someone who would stand out in the crowd, someone that would sort of be clearly someone who was above the crowd that Jesus could uh, know that the Father was doing something or very possibly just simply as Jesus walked by and noticed Zacchaeus, he was just prompted by the Holy Spirit who lived in him as he does in us 
spend time with this guy. I'm doing something here. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed in the passages where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples or the 72, but Jesus always told them to go to welcoming people. Welcoming people are interested people. They're people who are curious and seeking. And Zacchaeus and most tax collectors were known for their parties. So I suspect he was probably rarely welcoming. He was also curious and curiosity enough to make a spectacle of himself. He wasn't concerned about what these other people think. And so I speculate that he was seeking. That something was stirred up in him and that Jesus was able to see that. And I believe that if we will apply this key to kingdom living, a partnership with the Father, by spending time with Him, watching Him, that we're going to be able to see those who are welcoming, those who are curious, those who are seeking. It happens at our work. It can happen in a grocery line. It can be waiting to buy a ticket for a game. People are there. Some people just, there's something the Father's doing. We can become alerted. Something's standing out. While we're praying, the Father can alert us. We can ask the Father, Father, is there anything you're doing today? Is there anyone I'm going to meet today? What are you doing? Show me what you're doing. I want to be doing and about your business. Another case, an example of, of Jesus being alerted was a story of a woman at the well, Samaritan woman from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. I'm not going to read it all. Again, a familiar uh, passage to us. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling and they stopped outside of a town so the disciples could go into town and pick up some burgers and fries. Jesus was tired enough that he waited outside by the community well where uh, at, at some point in time a woman came over. Uh, Jesus sitting there asks her for some water but ends up telling her the good news which ends up becoming a part of leading many of the people there in that town to Christ. Now, again, I would advocate that it might be possible that while Jesus was praying that morning or the night before, uh, that he was alerted in prayer of this individual that he might meet, uh, or possibly just simply Jesus looking at the woman, hearing her questions, hearing her responses. He sensed something was going on in this woman's life, and he pursued the conversation some more. At one point in the conversation, Jesus uh, gets a word of encouragement for the woman, and he, he speaks to her very clearly with information that only God would know uh, about her. And, and this really catches her attention. We have this happen uh, quite often as we minister in our church in the area of what we call encouraging words. Um, occasionally we do that here on uh, Sunday afternoons, but we also once a month go down to an area called First Fridays um, where uh, David and Mariana, uh, Dan Lee lead a team of people who have been trained to do this, and they will be there in this little booth area, and people will come up. We have a sign that says encouraging words. We also have some members who are trained uh, in the area of dream interpretation, uh, Hebraic dream interpretation. And very, very often, people will come through, and all they really want is they're just interested. They're just, what's this encouraging word? I've been there many, many times, and I've been the person called the barker at times where you're trying to get people to come over. And, it, and it's amazing. The, the older ones are usually the most, no thanks, I've already got me. I'm already encouraged, uh, or, or whatever. You know, no thanks. They just steer away. You know, they see you, and they just kind of walk away, like most of us do with people on the street, I suspect. Yeah. 
Yeah, the girls are often, uh, yeah, a guy and a girl could be coming by and the girl is interested in getting this word of encouragement. Well, one of the cool things is that many of these people who come through, I mean, how many on a, on a night, given night, 60, 80 people? Do you, do you give easy? More than 120, 90 people last, last month that we give encouraging words to. So out of that 90, most of those people just say, thank you very much, that's really cool, or wow, or how'd you know that kind of a thing. But occasionally, there's curiosity. Occasionally, there's somebody there who lingers or who comes back. And that gives us this opportunity to go, oh, hey, maybe the Father's doing something here. And we pursue that conversation. Most of these are simple touches with the supernatural, though they don't fully grasp that or understand that. But occasionally, the Father is at work and there's, a, there's something going on. And we have that privilege out on the street there to be able to do that and to be able to go further with these individuals in a similar way that Jesus did with this woman at the well. Then the third case I want to look at is the one we read about at the very first part of this, the man at the pool of Bethesda. If you remember uh, earlier when we read that story about Jesus healing the man who was lame, you know, he was laying by the pool waiting for an angel to stir the waters, but he didn't have anyone to lift him into the pool. Now, I don't know if this caught your attention or not, but there were crowds of people. There were crowds of sick people there. Probably something like a, a convalescent hospital of today might be. There were hundreds, perhaps, uh, of individuals laying there, but Jesus only ministered healing to that one man. Now, that should catch our attention because many cases in the Scripture, when Jesus is around crowds, we see this phrase, and Jesus healed them all. Occasionally, we see a phrase in this one particular case when he was in hometown, Jesus could not do very much. He was hindered there. In this case, the Father was doing this. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, would you like to get well? Jesus was alerted somehow that this is something the Father's doing. Jesus is walking through this area and this man catches attention. Again, maybe in prayer, the Father, the Holy Spirit has spoken and given him leading. But my guess is, is just as he was just walking through, it became clear to him that there was something going on here. And he asks the man this real simple question, would you like to be well? I don't know, again, if you've noticed this in, in many of the healing uh, instances with Jesus, with the blind and uh, lepers and others, Jesus asks them the question, what would you want? What do you want from me? even after they've been yelling and shouting at him sometimes. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on mercy. Jesus asks uh, Bartimaeus, what would you like me to do? Because Jesus needs to hear from his lips what he wants. I want to see. And that's a similar situation here. Now that isn't the response of this man. This man says, uh, I've got a problem with getting well. I don't have anybody to you know, scoot me into the water when the angel comes and stirs the waters. Jesus just steps right over that. There does not seem to be faith in this man. Do you catch that? We've been taught that faith has to be present for healing. And it is, does need to. But it doesn't always have to come from the person being prayed for. Jesus was alerted in this case to the need of this man. He was alerted to the fact somehow the Father wanted to minister healing to him. And so irregardless of the faith of this individual, Jesus simply looks at him and says, 
Take up your mat and walk. Walk, take up your mat. One other one, I don't have it in my notes, but another one that has always caught my attention in Acts chapter 3 or 4 or something, um, Peter and Paul are, are heading into the temple. And as they're walking in, there is a, um, a lame man who is trying to get their attention and uh, giving them alms, alms, alms for the poor. And um, while they're walking by, all of a sudden they're steered to look at this man. And there's, in the text it says something. When, when Peter, I believe, looked at the man. David, do you have the text? There's, that's really key. I'd... X3. Just read that, one, read that one phrase where Jesus Peter looked at him. When Peter looked at him... Yes. Okay. When Peter and James looked at him intently, that right there is seeing what the Father's seeing, doing. In that moment, they how many times have Peter and John walked by this guy? The guy's 38 years old, I think, as well. There's another text, a uh, chapter later, where they're talking about the man. The man's been there every single day for years and years and years, long before Jesus came to do his ministry. In fact, how many times did Jesus walk by that man and never heal him? It wasn't what the Father was doing. But on that day and in that moment, Peter and John are walking by. They look intently. They stare at the guy and they know that the Father's doing something. Peter, you know, silver and gold have I none. Stand in the name of Jesus and walk. So I'm advocating that if, in fact, we will recognize that the Father wants us to partner with him, that there is a key to ministry, there's a key to seeing success in the healing ministry, there's a key to success in evangelistic ministry, there's a key to success in the caring and giving of of, uh, aid and care to others, and that is this partnering, that the Father is at work. And we need to be those who are about his business. But first, before we can know and identify, we have to spend time with him like Jesus did. We need to watch for what the Father is doing, and then we have to be committed to doing it. And I think those are some of the challenges. This one parallels a little bit last week when we talked about listening to Jesus, but then also responding and doing So if we believe that the Father is always at work and that he loves us, And that just as he loved Jesus, that he then is doing something here this afternoon. We can imagine that. If the Father is always at work, then he is here this afternoon. And he wants to show us what he is doing. So we're going to take a few minutes and do what we call in the Vineyard Clinic. What time is it? Good. We've got a few minutes. And um, I'm going to do a little different. I mean, most of the time... Uh, around here, what we do is we invite the Holy Spirit to come to speak to us and and uh, share with us what the Father is doing. And many times, our leaders, some of those with uh, more training, and uh, will be those who will share uh, something. But I sense that something that the Father is doing this afternoon, as I prayed about this time and what He wanted to do, is that He wants to initiate some of you who have never got a sense of leading or 
heard a word or have an idea of something the Father might be doing in this kind of a setting, that he wants to, he wants to train you and encourage you and encourage us through you this afternoon. So I am going to pray. I am going to welcome the Holy Spirit to come. And we can expect, you can expect that while you're sitting there, you're going to hear some words. Might be kind of a word like something about God. You might be reminded of a scripture passage. And I don't want anyone to share longer than, you know, 20 seconds or so. We're not looking for anyone to teach now. I'm I'm really not looking for a a stand-up and long prophetic word. I believe that the Father is going to give us brief little glimpses and pictures of things that he wants to say or do this afternoon. And I believe he wants to equip and begin to nurture some of you who have never had this kind of an experience before. So we're going to pray and invite him and welcome him to do that. Father, thank you that you want all of us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. That this is not about great spiritual leaders. This is not about super pastors or super evangelists or super healers. This is about your saints, your kids, your church. In the workplace, at the market, in the library, standing in line for the Spurs game, wherever we are, You are at work. And Father, I long for us to learn this principle. I long for us to lay hold of these keys and begin to unlock the doors that are open and ready for unlocking all over this city. Jesus, you said greater things are we who follow you going to do because you have sent the Holy Spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say, have your way. Stir up the gifts. Stir up revelation and understanding. Teach us to see, to hear, and to know what you're doing. So right now, Holy Spirit, just place into the minds, the spirits, the emotions, the bodies of these here and teach us begin to recognize your voice. Jesus said, my sheep will know and recognize my voice. In Jesus' name, I just bind the enemy from this place. You will not have a voice here. Father, we trust you to guard us, to protect us, and we welcome you to speak. Identify what you want to do here this afternoon. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to wait for a moment. Most of us, when we get a word or an impression, it will come in the sense of words in our mind. Most of us, we're trained very cerebrally in our culture. That's the norm. But there are a few other ways that often we will receive these kinds of impressions. Sometimes we'll feel something in our body. 
feel a pain in an elbow or in an ankle or a stomach ache or a headache, sharp pain. Sometimes we'll feel something like that. That as well is, an, is a word from the Lord, impression, revelation. Another thing that can happen is uh, that you might see a picture. As we were praying a moment ago, a picture might have appeared in your mind, a picture of a person or a, a woman or something, the way somebody was dressed or something they were doing. And you can share these pieces, these uh, impressions, and, and very normally the Holy Spirit will link them together like a small puzzle and to help us to know who he is identifying and wants to extend care to, something he wants to do. So first, I'd like to ask those of you who have never given any kind of a word like this. We're a small group, and this is practically just a big small group here this afternoon. So no threat. Uh, I'm here uh, functioning under the authority of God. And so I'd like to ask if any of you who are have never had this kind of a thing, an impression or something, but you felt like you got something today, if you'd raise your hand. Come on. Okay. Are you willing to share with us what the sense was that you got just from where you're sitting? Okay, you saw a picture of a small boat tied to the lake shore. Did you see any of the lake shore was around it at all, or was that the central focus? Just the boat, okay? Now, I'm not going to worry at the moment for trying to tie individually these things. What I've seen the Father do many times is, is bring a puzzle together for us to help us understand what he's doing. Somebody else. And I'd like to stay first with those of you because you're the most shy and the most reserved if you've never experienced this before. I really believe there's some more of you. Pick what you, the impression you got. You saw it as like a picture. You saw a flower blossoming. Any type of flower was that? It was a rose color a red rose opening could you smell anything you could smell it did anybody else smell anything smells sometimes occur anybody else I know that who's next to share is really more I know this is awkward and some of you are guests with us and you may feel like you're hindered because you're not known, but I, I trust the Holy Spirit here today. Again, we're a small enough group. If you're a guest this morning, I would welcome you as well to share if you're, if you're getting something that you would be willing to. Okay, let's broaden it out now then. I won't limit it to those who have not experienced this before, but uh, others of you who uh, heard words or felt things or experienced something while we were waiting there, or still, even now, could be happening. Okay, picture of a cross-country skier in a race. 
Priscilla? Oh, Mercy. It's like you're him and not hers. Okay. A tunnel. Anybody writing these down? If somebody could, that would be helpful. I've just all read. I've gone beyond my ability to retain them now. We went past four. Let's let's restate them just for a minute, Claire, while you get them real quick. We've got the boat tied to the shore. We have a, a rose, a red rose that is blooming, blossoming. The skier, cross-country skier. And then a dark tunnel. It wasn't dark. It was a tunnel with a door, and the door opened. But you couldn't see out. Okay? A very long tunnel. Write down the first one first. Because that was probably it. And the second part was your mind trying to correct the Holy Spirit. That's not what the scripture says. Come on, Holy Spirit. You know it better than that. Okay, we need somebody from this side again. Thank you. Okay, a weight on the shoulders, uh, great stress, weight, pain, discomfort. Okay, some of these words, and I'll, I'll help us, I am getting leading from the Holy Spirit, but I'm probably going to ask some of the rest of you to even help. Some of these uh, require interpretation. They're, 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 they're a prophetic uh, expression. They are going to point to individuals with needs <clears throat> whom we can pray for. That's, that's what we're looking, that's what we're... In, that's what I'm understanding the Father's doing this afternoon. And so some of these are going to do that.
Okay. I, I have something I can do with that one as well. Good, we're cool. I'll take some of that, but it's not only for me. Another one from over here. This side again. David? Okay, saw an onion. What did, did you see? Did it have the a white onion? Did it still have the, the thing on the outside, the little thing on top? Well, I'm trying to figure out if it's a, you know, if it's already been cut and cleaned or if it's, a, you know, the raw. It, it makes a difference. It does. Okay, and then you also right knee. Okay, let's go back here. you say it one more time? Just the, just what his response was. That's Movement or a pain in the right shoulder, I'll take that one. <laughs> one more. Possibly somebody else who was earlier just a little. Um, Alex, did you get anything at all? Did you get picture words pop into your head during the prayer time? No? Okay. Ashley, did you? You kept feeling something in your foot. Okay. Did you check it to see if there's a rock in there? Okay. Once you, you need... Nobody had a word of knowledge for new eyes. Okay. Oh, starts on the previous page. Um, let's start with the boat tied to the shore. That is a, a prophetic picture. It's a prophetic picture of something that's happening or has happened in somebody's life. Anybody have any senses of what that picture might mean? I know we're risking it now, but I'm going to trust the Father a little bit on this. Wow. Okay. Okay. So 
he's making it personal for the individual, but the concept there is that someone has been loose or drifting. That's, that's the meaning he's giving to this. And that someone has now fa- found connection and they're not aimless and drifting anymore. You catch that? Tom, was that meaningful to you? All right, let's try the the next one. The red rose blooming. Anybody have a, a sense of, I mean, in the natural, sometimes we get, this is something, uh, uh, we're way, uh, we're done service time, but we're okay. It's hard to do this kind of stuff with time, but one of the ways that very clearly this has worked in my own life is that I'll get sort of a natural understanding of something, just natural. Okay, rose, blooming, somebody's life, opening. But as I think that thought, then the Father will give something else that isn't sort of that simple or in the natural. He gives you information in the supernatural. Anybody have a sense of something related to the rose? Okay. Okay. The fragrance of Christ. Okay. So that word, David's, is is a, a word of encouragement with that interpretation of the rose, then it's pulled into that realm and it gives us understanding that there is the, the Father is speaking to us and he's wanting to encourage us to be giving away his love to others and that we become afraid. You know, I've said it this way a lot. You know, too often as Christians we're the bad news and what we're supposed to be is the good news. Okay, David, when, when, when David heard the word uh, shared by Peggy a moment ago, his impression immediately was that it referred to a name, as in Rosa Rosa. And we got a second on that. Do we have a third? All in favor, say aye. Just kidding. Um, okay, there are actually... Uh, how many people have the name Rose, Rosie, Rosa here in this room? One, two, three, four. So um, that word is, you wouldn't think that, right? Rose, Rose. But that kind of a word is a pointer word to say, hey, let's pray for the individual's with that name today. Let's particularly, then we can take this interpretation that was given to welcome them to become the fragrance of Christ and we can add to it. What were you going to say something else, sir? Edification, building up. Mm 
Yes, it was. Right. Well, that's and that's what we're teaching here. I mean, the whole tonight we're talking. It's now tonight. It's no longer this afternoon. And we are now talking about what does it mean to do to do what the Father's doing. Again, we're our setting here is is clinic. God is wanting to train us to equip us. That's what we do at church. But then we go out from here. And tomorrow, as you go to work and as you go to the places uh, where you serve and the different things, we need to be looking for these kinds of opportunities. You're, you know, sitting on the bus, whatever, wherever, the plane. And, you know, uh, Clara um, occasionally will have see words written across people. And it will give her information from God of how to uh, minister to that person. So she doesn't just come right out and say, you know, uh, you know, identify the word. She'll lead up to it with questions or that. Let's see. Oh, the tunnel. Cross-country skier. Just quickly, anybody have a sense on the cross-country skier? Any kind of... David? Okay, cross-country skier and the tunnel both speak of transition or movement. Perseverance is with that. Okay, that's a word of encouragement. Do you want to turn it into that? Yeah, I just think that's a word of encouragement for people who have been waiting for a long time relative to work. So if you've been needing to get work and you've been on this tunnel... And it's taken a lot of endurance to keep going. I think the Lord wants us to, again, encourage you and pray for you for that breakthrough so that door will open. Yeah? How many is that for? Okay. A little bit higher. Can I see you? Because, okay, there's like four or five of you. Six. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to jump now a little bit. The uh, shoulders, the weightiness on the shoulders and the strain that was extreme, I believe it has at least two kind of meanings. I'm just going to jump with it because of the lateness of our time at this point. One would be that there is somebody here actually who's experiencing some some physical challenges in their neck and shoulder area and that there, uh, we would like to welcome the opportunity to pray for you for any uh, for that physical condition. But it also, I believe, represents uh, many of you who feel like you have been under a weight as you have progressed in your walk with Christ, as you're working in your relationships around you, that it's just been really, really hard work, and it's been painful for you. But the pack's coming off, and, and God wants to bring relief and again, his yoke is easy, so he says. And there's endurance with that. It was after, like after a long march. Um, does this make sense? I mean, are we making it up? Well, no. We asked God <laughs> to speak to us. And honest, right? I mean, it's hard. I mean, if those of you perhaps who've never been in an environment uh, where they welcome or accept or consider this, but um, this is what Jesus did. Jesus walked around, the woman at the well there. I mean, he, he looked at her and he goes, you've had, go tell your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband, i.e., I'm not married. He goes, you're right, you've had six others. You know, catches her with her dress down, so to speak. And uh, her veil down. 
her valent. Sorry. Her guard down. It, it, and it lowered her guard to where she could really talk to him, and they got down instead of just talking about water, right? Okay. Um, I believe that uh, I, the uh, word of encouragement to me personally about seeing the fervency of prayer uh, in the early years and then the, um, the going through hard times, I think that word is for me. I think it's also for others here who have had times and seasons in your younger years that were fervency in life, times in your life where you really felt God moving and you felt his presence and that it's, you've, it's been dry now for a while. It's been really hard and that he wants to stir that up for you again. And that's for you as well. And others of you. Okay. That's... Okay. Uh, Mona? Yeah. You need prayer. Okay. God's doing something on you. You're being touched by it and... Um, he's stirring something up there, so you make sure you get prayer. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. And uh, look at, I, I, it's okay, be okay. I, guys, I want you to turn around and look at her right now. Don't you have a look? Look at her. God is on her. She's being touched by the Holy Spirit. Okay, when you see people responding like that, when you're talking to them, you know, hot dog, God's here. The king's here. He's doing something for her, so we're going to pray for her. Okay. The, the onion... The onion is represent almost always is kind of representative of God wanting to heal layers in our lives and sometimes with forgiveness. Um, those of you who've wrestled with forgiveness through the years, it's often a layer kind of thing. There'll be a season of forgiveness where we're able to let go of things, but then it's back again and we think, wait a minute, I thought I dealt with this. Well, you did. You dealt with that layer of it. Now you're down to another layer of it. So there's some of you here that are experiencing have experienced. Uh, freedom from uh, entanglements and things, but there's an, another layer that the Father wants to work in you. Okay, this is what I'd like to do. Um, David? The right knee. Okay. Okay. Um, David is wanting me just to make a statement about that some of you didn't get a sense of of something or a word that was necessarily about you or a condition that you're experiencing and that not to be discouraged by that. Um, This is a process of learning, uh, beginning to hear the Father's voice, seeing what he's doing. I mean, Jesus was right on every time, but most of us are stumbling through. And so it's going to take some time and initiative. You need to get into a group of people where you can learn this and practice and um, work with it where you have that positive environment to be able to do that. Um, There were lots of you, uh, all the Rosas, and um, then we had the work people. That was a group of people. Um, Yes. Yes. And, and 
what we want to do then is where there is this touch with different ones of you might simply be a name. Uh, that issue, David's word of encouragement about needing to be more of uh, loving of others. Um, a number of these, this is now a good time to say, oh, this is what the Father's doing. He's doing something in me. He's doing something in this person over here. And we would like those of you who had a word for you, you sensed like that's related to you, you heard the story of the tunnel, you've got a right knee condition, you've got a neck condition, we had the right shoulder uh, condition. We'd like those of you who any of these words or pictures that you felt like that, that might relate to me, I'd like you to come up. And we're going to pray for each of you individually. That's how we do that around here. And we're going to give some time to do that. So we'd love for you to just make your way up. I'm going to dismiss the service at this point and allow the rest of you to go. And thank you so much for being with us and putting up with us going over time. I apologize for that, but I hope it was an enjoyable time. Bless you all. Have a great week doing what the Father's doing.